Isaiah chapter 50. Uh, we're going to move on. I spoke with Rusty before he went out of town this week, and he's going to loop back and finish part two of 49, which is the second servant song. We're going to move on to 50 and cover the third servant song. That's uh, the third of four within the book of Isaiah. Uh, these servant songs are simply Hebrew poetry embedded within Isaiah in which the future servant of God is clearly displayed. Uh, and as they move along, and, and as we're in the third one, we'll see more and more of the suffering part intensify, uh, looking forward to uh, the servant who will suffer, but who will deliver through his suffering. Uh, these songs are all in chapter 42, 49, 50, and 53, uh, which is most common to us. Questions to ask this morning before we read the text. What is your ultimate aim in your life? What are your life goals and why? What are you looking for in life? What, what do you yearn for in life? What are you chasing after? Let's read chapter 50, start from verse 1. We'll read the whole chapter together. Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates, vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold. The Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip themselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Great King Jesus, we worship you this morning. We need your word. We are desperate for you. We are desperate for reorientation of our passions, of our hearts, of our minds. We are hungry even more than we know. And we come to you seeking to hear from you. Give us the ear of those who are taught. Open our ear that we may hear. 
And let us be obedient and joyful as we hear your word. Oh, Holy Spirit, descend on us and grant us light and heat that we may be stirred up to enjoy you more and to glorify you forever. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. In 1700, Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, commonly referred to as Count Zinzendorf, was born in the German nobility. Some years after a deep spiritual awakening in his life, he went to uh, found the Moravian Church. If you know anything about the Moravian Church, it was a very missional-minded church back then, and, and actually Zinzendorf is counted as one of the fathers of the modern missionary movement. While he was attending the coronation of the Danish king Christian VI and was introduced to new converts from Greenland and a convert from West Indies and Africa, and these converts came to him and pleaded for missionaries. They wanted people to come and teach their people about Jesus, about the gospel, to which he took, Zizendorf took back to his church and began to train and send missionaries to the foreign lands. A quote often attributed to him is this preach the gospel die be forgotten preach the gospel die be forgotten you see faithfulness and obedience are not popular themes within our culture nor within our modern church sad to say rather they have taken a back seat to success fame popularity power and even fear of man this is indicative of the fall of mankind and the sinfulness of our own hearts. Even within the church culture, there's this attitude that obedience is in opposition to grace and, and faithfulness is in opposition to freedom, which is absolutely false. They dwell together. They commingle. God uses His grace to bring about obedience and faithfulness and joy. And we'll see this here within the text. Obedience and faithfulness, even to death, is what we see in this third servant song. And it will intensify in the fourth servant song in Isaiah 53. The servant of God is humble. He's teachable. He's obedient. He's faithful, even in the face of immense suffering and his pending death. And here's the point. Here's our main point today that we'll start with and we'll arrive with after the viewing the text. Seeing the faithfulness and obedience of Christ... The servant of God, the Messiah, urges us to joyful obedience and faithfulness no matter how difficult life becomes. It urges us as we gaze at the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ, and his obedience and his joy that was set before him. It urges us, it moves us on down that same track of fierce, delightful obedience. I want to walk through the passage just simply today with that main point in mind. So to begin with structural purposes, uh, verses 1 through 3 uh, are not the servant song. It's the Lord God speaking. And then we have the servant song in verses 4 through 9. It's uh, soliloquy. It's uh, of him speaking of himself. And then in 11, 10 and 11, God is, comes back on a bookend and speaking, okay, what's the point of this servant song? So what? Our focus today will mostly be on 4 through 9, but we'll look at the others as well. In verses 1 through 3, Yahweh questions his people. 
essentially conveying that he has not divorced them. He's not sold them into slavery. That's why he asked this rhetorical question, where's your certificate of divorce? I did not send you away. I'm still here. What has separated me and you? It's your iniquities, your transgressions. That brings separation between God's people and his own heart. Thus, verse 2, I called, but no one answered, which is echoed in John chapter 1, verse 11, if you remember. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You see, the whole book of Isaiah, if you remember, is this cycle of indictment against Israel and this urging back. Israel, come back to your God. This indictment of sin, of idolatry, and an urging to come back to worship. We see that here implicitly. God does not give up on his people. His arm is not too short to save, nor is he impotent to deliver. In fact, the word, his word, has the power to drive the seed, to actually drive the rivers and make them desert, to actually make all the heavens black. We see in verses 2 and 3. See, God's word is powerful, it is effective. These comments of deliverance actually come in context. Look back to uh, chapter 49, verses 24 and 25 with me. Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you. I will save your children. Here we see the heart of God. He says, I've not, I've not gone away from you. I'm not abandoned you. You're not orphans. I'm actually going to save you. And here's how. I have a strong arm who's coming. The one who's coming will deliver, will save. Over and over in the book of Isaiah, God rebukes Israel's faithlessness. But God never turns away. He has a grand plan. He has a scheme. He has a king who will come. A man. A deliverer. To which we turn to verse 4, which begins the servant's song. Before we read that, notice four times the servant refers to the sovereign Lord, or in the original Hebrew, it's Adonai, Yahweh. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 7, and verse 9. The Lord God, it says in the ESV. The Lord God, Adonai, Yahweh, sovereign Lord. Already we see that the faithfulness and obedience of the servant is largely dependent on the sovereign Lord and his intervention. The Lord God, verse 4, has given. Verse 5, has opened my ear. Verse 7, helps me. And verse 9, again, helps me. The sovereign Lord is doing this. And yet, we also see the obedience of the servant. You see, as I said, faithfulness and obedience are are not to be pulled away from grace and mercy of God. God is, is at work first and foremost to shower us with His grace and mercy. And yet in that, that mystery of obedience comes God's sovereign grace and our responsibility to respond. Let's examine the servant more closely. Four things I want us to see. First... The servant is a disciple. Let's read verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, or we could say disciple there. That's the word. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. 
Morning by morning, he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. He is attentive. He is teachable. He has ears to hear. This makes us think of John chapter 5, verse 19 and 30. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And here we see it. Jesus is this disposition of hearing from the Father. And what he hears from the Father, he tells. What he hears commanded, he does. This God-man, fully God, 100% God, 100% man, obedient to the Father in the grand plan of redemption. What is the goal of his learning? To sustain or to encourage or to build up those who are weary. Do you remember Isaiah 42.3? you remember that? A bruising reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. This actually is, is taken up by Matthew in chapter 12, where Jesus, if you remember, he heals the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Aghast. Oh, no. He healed the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And these Pharisees were so angry, they wanted to destroy him. And, and he pulls this quote forward, Matthew does, and says, This is the guy. This is the servant we've all been looking for. He bends down to pull up those who are weak. What is the goal of his learning? Compassion, mercy, building up those who need building up. What's the goal of your learning? We love theology in our circles. What is the goal of our learning? That's a question we all should think about as we look at our motives. What is the motive of why we learn what we learn? Is it for the ultimate goal of superiority? To beat others down with a stick of theology? Or is it so that we can see the plight of mankind around us and say, come up, come up, know this Savior, know this Lord, there is hope. Wonderful, merciful Savior is Jesus. Second, the servant is steadfast. So first he's a disciple. Second, he's steadfast. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. God opened his ear to learn, and he did not refuse it, nor did he run from the suffering that he knew was ahead of him. The language in verse 6 calls to mind Matthew 26, verse 67. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Despite the immense suffering ahead of him, King Jesus continued his descent to the cross. He continued to move forward into God's plan. He continued faithfully and obediently and even joyfully toward the suffering that was before him. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Thirdly, we see that the servant is fully dependent on God his Father. Look at verse 7. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. 
This calls to mind Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Face like flint. Nothing would stop him. Nothing. He kept moving. Not to glory at that moment, but to death. To his humiliation. Glory would come later. Glory is in the hands of the Father. At the timing of the Father. Though he was the object of reproach, he did not shrink back because God was his help. It reminded me of Psalm 121. I look to the hills and from whence does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He who keeps your foot does not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is the help of the servant and also our help. Commentator E.J.A. Young states this, quote, For this reason... Also, he is determined to face the suffering that lies before him. No temptation will deflect him from his God-appointed course. Obedience to God's will looms paramount in his determination. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Praise him. Praise him. I'm so thankful, aren't you, that he was obedient even to death on the cross. Are you thankful? Amen? Yes. Yes. Not only would the Father help him, but also God the Father will vindicate Messiah Jesus. Look at verses 8 and 9. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. This leads to our fourth point. A servant is fully righteous. He is absolutely perfect. Thus the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Timothy 3.16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. How was Jesus vindicated? By the fact of his resurrection. He is alive. By the fact of his ascension. He went up into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. God's right hand is not too short to save. Jesus is his right hand of power. Jesus is his servant. The suffering servant. Our Savior who came to bridge the gap. Who came to tear the veil. Who came to enter in on our behalf. So that we could know God fully. And we can delight in God. And when that delight comes. When we see God for who He is. The glory of who He is. Obedience follows easily. Now we know we all have times. Very often. Where obedience does not come easily. What do we do? Well you can tell yourself. Man, why'd you do that? Do something better tomorrow. We all know that that, yes, there is a sense in which we move toward repentance, toward the good. But we also, more than that, we need to see God's glory through Christ. We need to see the beauty of the gospel. We need to be reminded that though I have fallen, yet there is hope. There is hope in the blood of Christ. There's hope in the power of the Spirit. And I am a son or a daughter of the king. I am a new creation. I have the power of the spirit within me that moves me toward joyful obedience. 
Jesus was vindicated by his resurrection, by his ascension, and he will be vindicated by his second coming. And all the world will see him in all his glory. This is where we have the great doctrine of Christus victor, the victory of God over sin, Satan, and the world. In fact, Colossians 2, 13 through 15, it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Listen to this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now this should echo back to 49, what we said, For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. And God is saying, I will bring you out of the dominion of darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of the Son of Light. As in Colossians chapter 1. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Praise Him. Praise Him. Well, so what? What's the application here? Well, there's application right here in the text. Look at verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Do you know what Jesus has said? Do you know the words of Christ? Do you know that the entirety of the scriptures are inspired by God? Do you know them? You can't obey what you do not know. Search the scriptures. Know Him. Know Christ. What is Christ demanded of us in the church? What is He calling us to and to be? Are you obeying His voice? Are you fearing Him? But look at the last part of 10. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely. You hear that? Rely on His God. So again, if you are tempted to Divorce, obedience, and grace. Don't do it. It's, it's, it's merged together even in this verse. You should see it. Obey the voice of His servant, relying on God. Relying on the power of God to walk in obedience. So believer, I encourage you. You are in Christ. God will complete that which He has begun in you. At the same time, you are called to walk with Him steadfastly with faithfulness. To listen to His Word and to obey His Word. Look at verse 11. If you're a, in this room, I'll just say this before we read it, and you don't know Christ, wherever you are on the spectrum, whether you're angry at God, whether you believe other gods, or whether you're peering in and you're wondering is this truth? Wherever you are on that spectrum, you need to hear this. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. Here's the point. God, through Jesus Christ, has offered you light in the midst of darkness. Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. He calls you to believe in Him, to listen to Him, to obey Him, to follow Him, to delight in Him. 
And what verse 11 is saying, though, is a stark warning. You want to you lean on your own intellect? You have your own torch of light? You want to lean on your own good works to actually earn salvation? That's a, a torch of light on your own? You have nothing. You will lie down in torment in the end. Those things offer you nothing. If you're looking to other gods to save you, there is nothing there. Listen, if, if, you're, if you're looking into the Christian faith right now, I urge you, there is no faith under the sun like it. The Christian faith is the only faith where its God has come and suffered in the face of evil. It's taken evil on and actually defeated evil and will come again and expunge evil from this earth and gather his people to himself. That's the delight in the good news of the gospel. And he offers you a gift, a peace treaty. Take this gift. But he offers you a warning. If you don't take this gift, there is judgment, there is wrath, there is hell to come. There's a classic scene in the 1994 movie True Lies where Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a double agent seeking to save his wife, Helen, from terrorists. They have kidnapped her and they're driving on this limo. It's kind of cheesy to some degree, um, as all 1990 movies are. And the terrorists are driving the car, and, and Jamie Lee Curtis gets, somehow she fights to get out of the sunroof, and, and she's looking back, and they're on this seven-mile bridge over the ocean. If you remember, if you've seen this scene, Arnold Schwarzenegger is in a helicopter, and he's coming to save her. He's going to grab her and lift her out of that car. But what he had done before is he had the Marines shoot out the bridge a mile ahead. So the bridge was bombed, and you know, it was gone. So her, her and her car were headed toward this this bridge that was out in which they would fall in the ocean. And if you remember, Schwarzenegger's hanging onto the helicopter and Jamie Lee Curtis is looking up at him and, and he says, the bridge is out! She's like, what? What? I can't do Schwarzenegger very well. The bridge is out! How about that? Is that better? What? The bridge is out! She's like, oh, oh yeah, the bridge is out. i got to do something. This is what this text is saying. The bridge is out. If you're leaning on your own understanding, if you're leaning on your own works, if you are not looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, the bridge is out in front of you. There's no hope. I find it remarkable living in the South. I grew up in the South. I'm now back in the South. People love to talk about God in general. That's a great thing. But sometimes... I long to hear somebody drop the J-bomb. Jesus! I love Jesus. Giving specific, as Meredith says, specificity to who this God is. Friends, we live in a culture that is widely pluralistic and polytheistic. God can mean anything this day and age. When you start talking about Jesus, the room changes whole atmosphere of the room changes. There's a fragrance to life or to death. And this is what we see in this text. You have been given a gift of life through Christ. Take it. Take it now, I urge you. Take this gift of life. Here's the point. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. No man can save you. Save Jesus alone. This chapter in Isaiah serves as a warning to all of us. 
Proverbs 14.12 says there's the way that seems right to a man, but in, in the end, it's the way to death. Friends, don't walk by your own light or your own fire. Seek the light of Christ, the fire of Christ, and you'll not be disappointed. The rock of ages cleft from me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let's pray. Oh, King Jesus, we want to see you more. And we need to see you more. Our hearts are vacant of your love often. Come through your spirit and fill us with your love that we may adore you, that we may see your glory and be moved by your person and your work, by who you are. Lord, let us adore you every day of our lives. And I pray, Father, that if there are those in our midst who are skeptics, who are peering into the faith, that you would enliven them, that you would encourage them, you would draw them to yourself through Jesus alone. Go with us today. Build up our hearts build up our families, build up our neighborhoods, that we may see your glory fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. We praise you, King Jesus, for your work on our behalf. And we stand in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.